You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Duncan, out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. And I'm your other host, Michael Edwards, out of Denver, Colorado. And we thrive on the support of our listeners, so please check out sunriserobot.net slash support to see some ways you can help us out. Yeah, my co-host slightly delayed Michael Edwards out of LA right now. Um, while the sun is rising here in Germany, he's sitting in a dark hotel room. I, I, I assume <laughs> because I can't see him. I can't see you. Let let me talk to yeah, you directly. I'm, this is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alone. It's dark. Uh, the Wi-Fi sucks, so you get to edit this very painfully. Yes. So you bought some tickets, didn't you? Yeah. So uh, it's always nice that we do these picks of the week and we find all these great songs. And then uh, every once in a while, I end up. Uh, I'm trying to start looking for when these groups are going to be in town. Because I like their songs so much, I might as well try to see them live. And I just glanced, and uh, Youth Lagoon, which was my pick last week, uh, is coming to Denver uh, in a week. So the 16th, they'll be playing the Bluebird, which is a pretty decent venue in Denver. So I uh, pulled the trigger, and me and Shelby are going to go see Youth Lagoon. And then I also found out they're out of Boise, Idaho. Cool. And you know why you can do that? Because you live in America, and bands actually show up in America. <laughs> Not just for, for some random uh, festivals. Yeah, I'm just checking here. Other countries they're going to play or have played Canada, of course, and Denmark. Okay. Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, exactly yesterday. So I'm a little late on that. Um, safe to say I won't be seeing Youth Lagoon in the, in the near future. Um, I also got a little bit of follow-up. So I did some more digging after last week's episode, um, searching for an online distributor. And um, I didn't find a new one, but I did decide finally. Um, at the end of the show, I was about to go with RouteNote. And I, I made an account there. I checked their website, which is, has gotten a little bit better. So I was having a question, or I, I wasn't sure if they support gapless playback on albums, because I love doing that. I love if the songs say into each other. So I um, checked their FAQ, nothing in the FAQ, I sent them an email, and I got this typical response where I just have to assume they didn't really read the read the email <laughs> completely. Um, because I didn't just uh, write a one-liner of, hey, do you support Gapless? No. Um, f first of all, they if you want to upload WAV files, you got to have the premium. So that's that's um, not that good if you, if you only can upload MP3s. Now, I know that most stores they are um, serving or they're connected to, they don't serve lossless. So it doesn't really matter that much. But still, if I upload my music somewhere, I do want to have my files that are like archive quality on there. Yeah, and what if uh, the service decides later to support a higher bit rate, you'd want them yeah, to right. be able to just re-encode it without any asking yeah. you to upload again. Yeah, and also I, I gotta assume that every service wants different encoding, so I just want to upload one WAV file and they do all the encoding on, on their end, on, on their service or on the distributor service, so um, really not happy about that. And also, gapless playback on MP3s is a very finicky thing. Um, I, can, I know that Lame can do it because of some tags, some meta tags, and the player has to support it. Okay, 
So locally, I can get Gapless playback going no problem. But if I upload that file, can I be sure that this file won't be altered or modified in some way on the way to, um, I don't know, Amazon or, or iTunes? That if you download that there, will you get the file that actually supports Gapless playback still? So the MP3 file that I upload, do they just push it to the other stores or is there something happening in between? And yeah, I pretty right. much got the response of, yeah, only I, uh, or like Apple Music and Spotify support Gapless playback if the user actually puts that setting in. And I replied with, yeah, that's not really what I was asking. <laughs> I was asking about the technicalities of the encoding that might happen. And yeah, no response. So um not going with Roundnote mm. if it starts like that before I even uploaded a yeah. single file to them. And you were also um, talking about the, the encoding to different bit rates, and that's exactly what Bandcamp does, because you, you right. upload one file, and it's like, well, FLAC, MP3, AAC, whatever someone wants, they can pull that down. And then I'm also, right. it's, it's kind of like YouTube, where you upload you know your 1080p or even 4K footage, and it automatically generates the lower bit rate versions for people that have bad connections. So this is the way it should be, very clearly. Right. I mean, I always say that lossless is good for archiving. I don't really need to listen to flag files. But if you start encoding MP3 files from other MP3 files, I'm I'm really not okay with that. It's it's like if you start uh, overdubbing the same tape over and over again, it's going to oh, you get yeah, horrible mistakes very quickly. Like I, we yeah. encountered that because uh, I, I wasn't keeping the original project files for flipping tables, and we were wondering if we could re-encode because I used to mix down to like you know, 160, 128 mono. So like really high quality. And we decided <laughs> to go lower. But when I re-encoded those MP3s in the lower bit rate, it just sounded so bad. And so we just had to keep rolling with the higher quality episodes for those. Yeah. So where did I go then? I'm going to go with Louder. Um, I talked about Louder just, just a little bit because um, for me it was always that... Um, yeah, I don't want to say one trick pony, that would be very dismissive, but um, it was always that one website where you could upload your cover songs. Actually, they're more or less competition to Bandcamp now, in a sense that um, they also have their own store where people can pay whatever they like for their, for your music, but you can't put your music on there for free, that's the difference, so um, you yeah. have to pay a little bit. Now that would be wouldn't be so much of a problem. I mean, I could just upload my EP to uh, I don't know Mega or somewhere or on my FTP server and just link to it in the description. Like, if you don't want to pay anything here, you can, you, you can still get it. Uh, but they wouldn't serve my files. I would be okay with that. Um, their UI is way better, and and they had they distribute to the to the major um, online stores. So in effect, their UI is way better than what route notes route notes. Yeah. Um, also, compared to Bandcamp, I think it, it looks more attractive, I gotta be honest. Um, on Bandcamp, you can do more customization of the design of your own page, but the interface itself is also way better. Like, Bandcamp, it looks a little bit bare bones sometimes. Um, now, that, that alone wouldn't be the reason for me to switch between those, but I gotta say, Louder makes a very great appearance, and Bandcamp will have to come up with some new features um, if they don't want Louder to take over. I just can't stand the, the the trend of omitting vowels from your name. So it's L O U D R, right? <laughs> They're gonna. That's what Bandcamp will do. It'll just become B N D C M P, 
<laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, I'm going to go with Lauda probably. Um, not going to use their online store extensively because I'm still still a fan of Bandcamp, but I'm going to let them take care of my um, yeah of my encoding and all. Oh yeah, and because I found a Reddit thread where actually one of the guys from Lauda said that if you message them, they will flag your album as gapless playback and they will try to get it everywhere gaplessly. Gaplessly, that's a great Gaplessly. <laughs> I like making adwebs where they shouldn't be. So on to the show, huh? Um, we've got uh, some good articles here. And the first one is uh, The Verge did a nice uh, little editorial piece, uh, interview piece, um, all about Spotify's Discover Weekly playlist, which we've kind of featured on our show as being pretty good in our experience, um, picking songs we tend to like. And uh, there was a little behind the scenes, which was really fascinating to read on how this playlist actually gets generated, because obviously there's not a person for every single user of Spotify that is just creating playlists for them. Really? I, w- I always thought they were using Amazon Automatic Turk to do that and pay people <laughs> 10 cents per playlist. <laughs> I'm sure those would be great playlists. Um, but no, the they it's but it's not as robotic as you might have thought either. Um, there's definitely the power of uh, automation is involved, but um, it's also still at heart kind of human curated. So one of the insights of this article is... Uh, they, they're using data from MP3 blogs and what people are talking about on the web publicly to help inform what's kind of, you know, blowing up right now musically. And they use that in addition to um, data about what you're listening to and the genres you're into and whatever they can glean from your actual usage. And they're combining those things. So it's like stuff that humans are excited about in the real world but also curated to your taste based on your, your your past behavior. And it seems like that's working pretty well. I know this is a f- typical flipping table subject, but this is a typical instance where I wouldn't be mad if Spotify tracked me and saw what kind of YouTube videos I watched or the kind of um, artists I researched online um, to kind of inform themselves about that because I don't listen to everything on Spotify. And um, the more they find out about my taste, the better. I mean, I, I use Last of M and they're obviously connected to Last of M. So um, I don't find any harm in people knowing what kind of music I like, um, especially if it informs this playlist feature. Yeah. And it just seems like they're doing a better job than any of the other services right now. I mean, it remains to be seen if they'll catch up, especially if this article kind of revealed how they do it. But um, <laughs> no, it's it's really kind of remarkable that, you know, it's not all 30 songs, but there's usually two or three songs I like a lot every, every week in this playlist. Let's see if somebody is able to reverse engineer it in a way to um, kind of cheat their way into everybody's Discover Weekly playlist. The Google bombing of Spotify. It also kind of reminds me, you ever look around Hype Machine? I don't know if Hype Machine's still a big deal as music discovery, but I remember at least like five years ago, it was really useful just kind of to bounce around different genres. Yeah, it still exists. Um, I still get, uh, people still recommend it when people ask like, where can I put my album? Where can I do promotion? And they're always like, yeah, check Hype Machine and check the blocks there. I myself have yeah. never really used it. Um, it seems like it's it should be a subculture that would be interesting to me, but for some reason I can't get in there. Like I, I can't find a connection with, with the whole hype machine thing. 
Yeah. I used it when I like, you know, you want to know which MP3 blogs to try to get reviews and, and features in. Um, you search artists you think you sound like and then look at whatever blogs posted those artists. And then that's a, a nice way to find some corners of the internet that might appreciate your music. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, I'm pretty sure I'm going to check it again for if my EP drops to get some blocks on, on the, on the train there, on, on the hype train. Um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe this time it's going to work. Maybe, and this time I have a, I have it a little bit easier um, when when um, picking blocks because last time it was always do I do I pick a block that's mostly about rock or one that's mostly about electronic because I'm doing electronic rock and there aren't much about electronic rock specifically and this time it's just electronica and maybe this time it's going to be easier. All right, and then we have this article on productionadvice.co.uk about online loudness. And this is a topic that I'm dealing with right now because I'm in the phase where I'm mastering the EP. And this article is just great because it, the result or the, the conclusion of it is great. It is that you don't have to master your song so loud anymore because online services are just going to play it back at the same volume anyway. So before everybody knows that everybody wanted to have the loudest tracks because if you compare those, louder is always better and uh, you always want to be louder in the competition and you're crushing a song to bits and leaving out all the dynamics just to, to get a little bit more, more decibels out of the track. And um, we talked about this before that Spotify is doing replay gain, Apple iTunes is doing replay gain, everybody's doing replay gain now. And um, there isn't a set standard, but... Um, so there's this unit called LUFS, which is to used to, to compare loudness in songs. And it's safe to say that if you're in the range between minus 12 and minus 16 LUFS, then you're good to go. Every, um, yeah, you're about in the range where the play, where the playback happens on all those services. So you don't have mm -hmm. to chase those sub minus 10 LUFS anymore, which I also used to do. Um, I remember that. Lives, the, the, the single by the Astray and all those songs on, on that single, all the remixes. I think I went to about minus 10 to minus seven. Now that is a yeah. song that lends itself to, to be crushed because it's, you can make it loud, but it doesn't work with every song. And, and so um, this LUFS, um, that, that number is representing the difference between the loudest and the quietest part of your song. Um, no, that, that would be the range. You, you also have a loudest, okay. loudness range, which I think is just LU then, the, the unit. But LUFS is rather the general loudness throughout the whole track. So if you um, have okay. a track that's a little bit quieter at the beginning, a little bit louder, it kind of sums it all up and gives you a general loudness of the song. And this is actually what yeah. I've read here, what is being used by, let's say, Spotify to play it back. So this means if you master your track very loud so you're going to go to the minus seven lufs let's say um spotify is just going to turn it down again to minus 16 to minus 12 somewhere in that range you're losing all your dynamics and you're not gaining anything in loudness and um, on the flip side if you don't really make it loud they are going to turn it up and do the limiting for you in a way so um, it's almost in the sense that mastering doesn't really have to do anything anymore with loudness. I mean, you still want your songs yeah. to be the same volume throughout the whole album. But other than that, you don't have to crush dynamics anymore just to get loudness because 
at least the online service are going to do that. So maybe if you are in a very big production, um, you might want to do a master just for those services and then one for your CD where you can crush everything and don't have to care about it. But even then, if you pop in a CD, you're listening to that one album, you don't need to be louder than the competition. So yeah. there, there's probably not going to be any more reason for loudness more in, in one or two years. I've often had the same feeling about, you know, podcasts seem to vary extremely widely because the, the level of expertise mixing down podcasts is still such a huge variety of like amateurs to professionals. But it never matters with podcasts because you're not skipping around shows every 10 seconds like you might do with a playlist. And so, um, but it is nice, you know, at first glance, you're kind of like, oh, why are these services messing with the, like the, the overall level of these songs? But it turns out that can really diffuse the loudness more and maybe move production away from this insane race to to zero dB um, that every song is doing and that you can just kind of back off and have more dynamic and people can not worry about that radio comparison and worry more about what's best for the song. Yeah, and I also got to say that on on the user side, on the listener side, um, I've really gotten used to replay gain since I've been using Spotify for about, I don't know, one and a half or two years now. Um, just this article made me think about how, how little I have to um, reach for the volume knob on Spotify or on my, on my speakers. Because it's true. I, I really never have to adjust the volume unless I really want something louder or quieter. But the songs themselves, always the same volume. I, you don't even notice it anymore. And I want more of that. I definitely want more of that. And yeah, this is two birds with one stone. I I really can. I really welcome this this replay gain uh, going everywhere, going with every service now. All right, and something else I discovered while um, producing my album. So while I'm in the mastering phase, still I sometimes I just listen and I find little little things that I still got to fix, um, like melody wise or rhythm wise. And so I had this little epiphany about a feature that Ableton has um, about something that is not exclusive to Ableton, but Ableton makes it really easy. Um, so I'm, I'm doing mostly electronic music now. And even before that, in, in the Astray, we used um, a drum sampler. So even then, usually at least my drums, they're always quantized. They're always on beat. Um, I used to record them through a, an electronic drum kit, but... Um, it was too much of a hassle to always set up. So everything is quantized. Everything is perfect. And then you record an instrument on top of that. Even sometimes it's a guitar or I just play the keyboard and just don't quantize the mini notes. And it's safe to say that I don't have perfect rhythm. And um, I think okay. my score was only 820 on that one game. So my my rhythm isn't perfect. And that's that's not a problem usually. But if you contrast it with something that is rhythmically perfect, which are those drums that I usually use, um, it can sound kind of not jarring, but it sounds strange. Like there is this little, this small feeling of something's not completely right. And um, so what you usually would be doing or what, what I've been doing before is I started quantizing the guitar that I played. So I tried to move it around a little bit to, to snap to the rhythm to make it also perfect. But, um, yeah, quantizing and warping audio always comes with a little, with some artifacts. If it's a quiet track in the background, it's not much of a problem, but I wouldn't want to quantize my guitar solo. Now I'm going the other way around. There is this feature in Ableton where you can extract the groove from a performance. And a groove is more or less just a, something like a click track. It really, it's just an audio file with a click in it. 
but uh, and, the, and the click denotes where the transients are supposed to go. So you can pull that out from any sound, from any recording, if it's a guitar, if it's drums or vocals, and you can apply that groove then to any other, yeah, any other file, any other MIDI um, MIDI track. And so I can apply that groove to my drums and to my other synths and everything that's rhythmic. And now everything is in sync, but it's not perfect. And um, I've used that expression uh, a few minutes ago, but also two birds with one stone, like everything is now in sync, but <laughs> also it has this human feeling to it because it's not this rigid rhythm anymore. That's always perfect on the beat. Yeah. I did that to all of my tracks one evening, exported them, listened to them back the next day. And it's such a subtle feeling, but you, you do know the difference if you, if you compare the two and it just flows so much better now. Yeah, I would compare it to like in graphic design, like sometimes, a, you know, I mean, there's all this flat design stuff, but there is a kind of a sense of like wanting to have like burnt edges or scratches or like little imperfections um, to lots of designs. And it just feels more authentic or it's more interesting to look at than the sheer perfection. And I mean, there, I mean, there's something to be said for like the space age white and the super clean, like you know, perfection, but, you know, it needs to be a consistent aesthetic, you know, like if you're, yeah. you know, chiptunes can be perfect because, it, you know, it fits the aesthetic of that kind of song. But um, when you're mixing real world instruments, you kind of have to find the, the space you're living in. And, uh, you know, I've enjoyed because Logic got some of these features too, where you can extract the transients and, you know, you could say your kick drum would set kind of the the tone or, the you know, the basic measure for everything else and just getting those lined up, even if they're not perfectly with the metronome definitely makes a huge difference. So I'm going to abuse that feature from now on everywhere. Um, yeah. Even, even for really danceable tracks for tracks that don't really have acoustic drums in them. It's just, it just flows a bit better if it's just minimally shifted to the side. Uh, yeah. In, in, in that little MIDI window. And it's funny, you can also like commit this groove and you can actually see where the notes are going to end up, but it's generally non-destructive editing. So you can always go back on it and change a little bit more. And yeah, it's, I'm just very glad that I found that feature now instead of in one month when the EP should be out everywhere, hopefully. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it sounds better now. Um, and yeah, as I said, you can do it manually, but uh, this groove feature is just perfect for that. It's just two clicks and you're done. Yeah. So we also had a topic today about song order. And, uh, you know, this is kind of one of the, the sacred acts of after you record an album, you, you think long and hard about, you know, what's going to be especially the first song or the last song. And, you know, what are the order of these songs? And is it, you know, how's the flow between them? And, you know, I've seen bands and been part of bands where this can be a very obsessive process. And then listeners might not care. <laughs> they kind of latch on to the song they like. They skip to the parts they like. And, you know, I mean, this is part of the, the cultural exchange of art is uh, once you release something, you're kind of letting people consume it how they will. And you don't really get to control it that much. Um, but, you know, the, the question posed here is... Uh, does song order even matter at all anymore? I mean, you could argue it mattered a little bit when the, the mediums, you know, lended themselves to people listening straight through, you know, a record. You can try to switch to another song if you if you have good aim with the needle, but you're, you're not going to do that every other second. Um, whereas, you know, yeah. starting with the iPod era, you know, skipping just became 
more powerful than anything else as far as, you know, the, the listener taking control. And so, you know, how much thought are you feeling like you put into this these days as much as you ever did before? And, uh, does it matter? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, it's really hard. I'm, I'm really wrestling with myself on that topic. Um, I'm I'm still not really decided on on the order of my five songs and five isn't really a lot. Um, <laughs> so I I got this feeling of where the last two tracks are going to end up, but two of those songs, like the first two, I I really don't know how how if I'm going to switch them around and how am I going to open the EP? Uh, should it start with uh, with on a high note? Should it start a little bit more low key and and work its way up? And then I'm thinking about, yeah, people are not going to listen to it in that order anyway because they're just going <laughs> to pick their favorite songs. Probably, maybe not. And also, um, now Bandcamp had, has this feature where you can feature one track of your album. So if people just go to a page and click play, it's not necessarily the first song of the album that's being played to them. So it makes it a little bit more flexible. I can have this this uh, marketable song right up front in the, at this feature and yeah. make the weird experimental song that's a great intro as the first track of the album and probably have no losses on sales that way. So I, I did the math and uh, if you have five songs and there's 120 possible combination, different orders. So all you have to do is rig all those up and listen to them all. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be an easy yeah. choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really thinking about it and... I'm more thinking about if I should invest more time thinking about it or if I should just slap them on there and be done with it because it's not going to matter. Um, and also I think all combinations or all song orders would work well on that particular EP. Like on Letters, we had some songs that had to be in a certain order. But yeah, the question is just, does it even matter anymore? And I would like to to ask some people. I have some, I, I was actually looking for some statistics online of um, how much are people using play, uh, playlists instead of listening through albums completely, but I sadly couldn't find any. So or for, um, for any artist that has enough listens that, you know, these services start like picking which song other people like the best. I mean, you know, when you look up an artist, yeah. you you tend to click and listen to the song that other people have seemed to have suggested is their best song or their most listened song. Yeah. The the problem is that I've got a such a small sample size and also that people who end up on my bandcamp nowadays are people who end up there from the YouTube videos which use my music. And of course, the songs which are most played are those with the most successful YouTube videos <laughs> behind them. So I can't say, oh, this song is most popular. It's just because more people know that track because the video which uses that track is more popular. I definitely bumped into that because uh, you sent me a sneak preview of the the CP. And um, I think I, my favorite song wasn't one from one of the YouTube videos that I had seen at least. But when it came, one of the songs I definitely recognized from one of the YouTube videos, I was like, oh, I like this song. Oh, wait, no, I'm just more familiar with it. And so it's not necessarily better than the other songs. It's just one I know. So it's hard to separate that. Yeah. Thought about this, that there are more or less two scenarios. So the first listen of the album and repeated listen. And now for you, I mean, you knew most of those songs, but... It wasn't your first listen in, in general because you knew some songs. So for the first listen, do I want to give people a great experience on the first track, like on the first 30 to sec, 30, 30, 60 seconds? 
And I also want to give them an impression of what I what can they expect. I can't um, open with a rock track and then have everything else be electronic. Like it has to kind of give you a range of what to expect. And um, yeah, that's always the problem with my music because every song sounds kind of different sometimes. And then for atmospheric purposes, yeah, I want might want to start with the with a with a song that's really slow and builds up and explodes in the end because i know you like that <laughs> um, but it might not be the best song to convince people to listen to the rest of the album if they don't know what so it's it's really hard to put yourself into the mind of others especially if it's about something so personal that you created yourself and put so much time in that i i really can't um be objective about it which is one of the reasons why i sent you the album and uh, my other friend michael also got the album now to listen to it and so i can gather some feedback about pacing and the song order maybe i'm gonna go with a very different order maybe you think the third song should be the intro so i'm very <laughs> open to it but i don't know i don't know what to do all right We've got a little bit of FX playing today, just a little bit, because um, the effects that we talk about today aren't that particularly complex. Um, they have their uses, and you're probably familiar with them, not necessarily by name, because there's always this confusion about those two, which one is which. So today we're going to talk about tremolo and vibrato. Now, the reason why people sometimes confuse it is because on the guitar... You can have a so-called tremolo system, which doesn't actually apply a tremolo to your sound, but a vibrato. Now, I knew those terms, I don't know from where, probably music lessons before I played guitar. So I was always confused about why are they calling it a tremolo system or tremolo arm. Mm -hmm. And I always then called it just a whammy bar. Because <laughs> I know yeah, the, uh, a whammy the name. Bar. That's... Yeah, the whammy bar is the best name. <laughs> What is a tremolo? A tremolo, I mean, you, you should explain what a tremolo is because I know you love tremolo. So tremolo, um, I actually never looked into the, the details of it, but isn't it varying the volume uh, according the to volume, a rhythm? Yeah. yeah, so tremolo, and I mean, there's variations where you can have it, uh, you know, be stereo or mono. Um, you know, it's very common on e-pianos to, to have tremolo built in. So, and you know, it's this, it has this like, uh, yeah, you have an e-piano ready to go. That's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the tremolo basically just gives a pulsating, almost like a, if there was a, a fan or a helicopter chopping up the sound, but, you know, um, not that extreme of like an actual helicopter, but, you know, it has a, a rhythmic <laughs> pulsing to the, to the sound. And, you know, I love rhythmic pulsing. Um, so, um and it just uh it adds this depth to the sound it, it helps distinguish one sound from another and um it's one of my go-to effects i used to use it on vocals a lot cuz i like to distort vocals and then throw tremolo on it and uh i just loved the way that sound i used to do a lot more falsetto and atmospheric vocals that would kind of be in the background and uh i just loved the the effect it would give it if you if you threw tremolo on it do you have uh, some tremolo you can rig up yeah let's hear some of it yeah. So first of all, this is the the sound that I'm using. I'm using a e piano. <laughs> That's a good song right there. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna just gonna hold a chord and dial in the tremolo slowly. So I'm I'm playing with the intensity right now. Mm -hmm. 
So that's a little bit of tremolo, and now let's have a lot of tremolo, where it almost goes between uh, the full sound or the full volume and muting it. Oh, yeah. So this is the point where it also, um, it already gets me nervous. Like, if you do that on a guitar, it really makes me nervous, especially if I um, make it a little bit faster. Yeah, if there's nothing else in the song that's kind of holding longer notes, then it can be pretty uh, intense to, to just have the whole song tremolo. Then you can also make it stereo, and thankfully our podcast is in stereo. So here's a little bit of stereo tremolo. just shifts around from left to right a little bit and depending on the intensity you get more separation on the on the stereo and it's uh, worth pointing out i think uh, as far as um inventions in the history of uh music production that uh, the smiths get some credit for figuring out um i think they were doing some clever reamping to get a tremolo effect on uh It might be the song How Soon Is Now. I'll have to look this up in the show notes. I'll include a link. But this song is, uh, the effect on the guitars in this song is uh, trivial to accomplish now, but was kind of a novel production trick they were doing in the 80s to, to achieve. Yeah, nowadays you can just buy a $40 paddle with it because, I mean, the circuitry probably isn't that complex in a tremolo. Yeah. So we'll, we'll throw in a link to that song to make sure yeah. people can check it out. And I was right, it is How Soon Is Now. Yeah, and then in contrast to that, the vibrato. The vibrato doesn't change the volume over time, but it changes the pitch over time. And um, it has some connection to the chorus, which we talked about at the beginning of our FX Plane series. So once again, this is just the, the regular sound right now. And now I'm going to dial in a little bit of intensity on the vibrato. Oh, that's too much. <laughs> okay, this is just a little bit less. But I mean, that, that, here you can hear actually what it does on one single note. Makes it sound like a really drunk toy piano. Yeah, yeah. But let me dial it down a bit so it doesn't isn't that extreme. Almost not noticeable anymore. So let me put in just a little bit more so you notice, but it doesn't sound completely broken. Ah, that's already so you have to be really careful with it and that's the whole point of a vibrato that you have to be really careful and um i usually use it in in the way that i actually use a chorus and it mixes the two yeah but yeah vibrato is just shifting the sound up and down all the time and by according to the rate that you set it and that can be really useful to It just really helps the sound kind of poke out in a mix by having that that difference in pitch. Uh, there's a little story that goes with it. So on on Letters, um, the second to last track, Delphi, um, there there's a guitar that always um, changes between left and right. And um, I didn't actually do that with a stereo tremolo, but I actually recorded like every um, second note. And then I recorded the other half of that melody and just put them on left and right speakers. But originally that sound had a very drastic vibrato effect on it. And then my bandmate said, um, 
please dial that down. It sounds awful. And <laughs> I got that track. Uh, I got the preview. I still have the demo and um, listened to it. And yeah, I'm really glad I did. So uh, first of all, th this is this is the version that ended up on the album. This is the instrumental version. So just um, listen for that guitar that always jumps between the left and the right speaker. Okay, so, I mean, you could achieve the same thing with a little bit of bending on the guitar, but there is a little bit of, of vibrato in it. So here's the version with the original guitar. Yeah, it's, it's always <laughs> almost sounds comic. Um, I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I still do. I still do like it, especially after the second or third listen. You kind of get... It's got a little attitude. Yeah, I, I really like the, not aggressiveness, but the boldness. Well, I think it's bold um, of it, but I can see why people would not like it. So I dialed it down a bit. <laughs> um, yeah. I actually got the idea from a live performance of The Prayer by by Block Party where Russell, the guitarist, plays a very similar melody and he also had a very drastic vibrato effect on it. I liked it so much that I tried to do it myself. Yeah, yeah, and turns out that people didn't like it, at least the people that I tested it on. And yeah, now I listen back to it and I think it's not that bad. There's also sometimes that with some effects, like you can, you can reach this point where uh, you're in a no man's land of like, I either need to go all in and like, go more extreme on this effect or maybe we need to not use it at all like there can be like you know a pinch is like not enough or too much but you you gotta go one way or the other maybe, maybe that's it maybe that demo is in the uncanny valley of vibrato and i had to do more of it or just completely let it go of it so maybe i'm gonna test that out maybe there, there will be a re-release of the song and i'm just gonna silently um yeah, switch it out on Bandcamp so people who will now buy letters, they will get that version of the song. <laughs> so that's our FX Plane, and uh, we now can turn to our picks of the week. And uh, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, my pick of the week is Minus with Them Beaches. It's a very rhythm-heavy song at first. So right at the beginning, it starts with a lot of drums and uh, that progressively you get more and more harmonics in there. So you get more vocals, you get more instruments for, uh, especially very extensive use of instrumentation. Also, what I like about the atmosphere of the song is that there is this room sound to it. And I think it's, it's just a perfect room sound. It's, it almost feels like they recorded it in one take and they had perfect mic placement throughout one big room and everybody is in that room playing together. Like it really has that yeah. feel of everybody's playing together instead of things being overdubbed into each other. You saying that makes me think we should talk about LA versus New York production styles because, you know, overdubbing everything versus let's get a live recording of everyone together because of that cohesiveness is a kind of a, a philosophy difference you can find in recording. So let's have a short sample of Them Beaches by Minus.
say at this point of the track, it's still very laid back, but yeah, there's an explosion in the end. So what did you think of it? <laughs> well, I loved it because of that. No, um, you know, eventually the drums get more intense. There's some really great Tom beat going on. And, uh, you know, my favorite part of the song, well, I, you know, in context, like you need the rest of the song for it to be my favorite part of the song, but you know, it really earns this ending where, uh, the, the instruments drop out and it's all vocals and they're, it's just like, I sent a chill down my spine. It was so good. And like, you know, listen to the song all the way through. But then when you get to that part, I, I think, you know, people would really enjoy that. And I agree on all the, the room sound stuff and the, the, the tone and the, the feel of the recording was just really, really nice, really good production. All right. And what was your pick of the week? So my pick of the week is a song called Dojo Rising by Cloud Control, and they're an Australian group, and I don't really know much else about them. I think they might have opened for Foo Fighters on some tour. Uh, they're, they're kind of rising in prominence. Um, but this song, uh, you know, this it was on my Spotify Discover playlist, full disclosure, but um, <laughs> uh, I, I latched onto this song immediately. I heard it on the way home in the car, and I actually couldn't hear the bass line that well just because of the rumble of driving on the highway, but I... I just had that faint hint of like, I think I really like this song. I'm going to listen again, you know, later more closely. And when I did with headphones later, um, you know, I, I just fell in love with this song. And, uh, you know, the, the most distinctive feature right off the bat for me is the, the drum beat and the, the mix of the ride cymbal and the cymbals in general. Um, they, they sound like they're expanding and contracting in frequency and it just kind of sucks you into the song and a hypnotic, like, kind of hypnotized me uh, just into this head bobbing and uh you know the song also just musically gets more interesting and more fun as it goes along the, they start providing more and more color to the chords um and you know there's more kind of a round going with the vocals so let's let's listen to a little bit of dojo rising already bobbing my head to it again i was mimicking some 16s on the right symbol <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i love that every once in a while there's like some this hi-hat that like kind of trickles through some 16th notes it's wonderful so uh what, what did you make of this song yeah that drum beat is i mean it's the song starts with the drum beat and there's a lot of processing going on that every every part of the drum set has a distinctive sound and yeah, what I loved most also was the right cymbal that was just pumping up and down. And, um, like over the years, I've really gotten to love the right cymbal. It's kind of, um, like a little bit of white noise to fill everything up. And in this case, it's just pumping up and down all the time. And then just as we listen to that sample, I noticed that little drum shuffle, that snare shuffle that sometimes happens in between that almost isn't noticeable. And, um, just the whole drum mix is just perfect yeah the whole song is a feel-good song it's just i mean it's there's somewhere it's that line of feeling good and uh yeah the 
the band name also very clever. I, I like it. <laughs> and um, then I think it happens about 10 seconds, 20 seconds after what we just heard in that, in that, in that sample. You know, you, they build up this phrasing of give it to me. So it's it's always that short phrasing, and then at some point they extend it, and um, it's one of those textbook examples of um, if you want to have a line that sh uh, that shines through, that gets like put on a pedestal above all other lines in the lyrics, you have to make it stick out in some way by um, changing the rhythm or just in that way extending it. So at some point it's going into um, then I'm going to break your heart. Should have probably told you from the start. And that line is just it just pops out instantly, and I love it when people play with phrasing like that. Yeah, and the the one other attribute of this song I'd want to call out is that they have these these like little chip tuny tom hits that do 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 like almost Mega Man sounds, and uh you know it, it's just a like they it could have been too much it could have been you know full vibrato which you don't want to do, um, but they it, they're just these little accents you know pan to the side and uh you know they just start featuring it a little bit more later in the song and it just adds like already a great drum beat and then you're like oh I like that too. All right, and as always, you can find those songs in our Spotify playlist if we can find them and if they're on there, if you're if they're in your region. Otherwise, you can find the links of those um, or to those in our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 36. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to us if you haven't already. If you're using your favorite podcatcher on iOS, you can use the built-in podcast app or you might want to use Overcast. On Android, you might want to use Podcast Addict or Pocket Casts. We also like feedback, and you can find us on Twitter every day, any day, especially now that you are one hour more advanced from me. So <laughs> one of us is always going to be online, so find us on Twitter at Madwoods Music or at Echolocks. You can also support us directly, or you can support the whole network directly on Patreon, patreon.com slash sunriserobot. And one of the rewards on there is getting a shout-out on one show or all of our shows. So with that, special thanks to Bruce Edwards and Andreas Lange. All right, see you next week. <laughs>